In this episode, Arnav Sinha talks about the methodology of translation and about hospital, a novel which he translated from Bangla to English. Arnav Sinha translates Bengali fiction and non-fiction into English and from English into Bengali. 75 of his translations have been published so far. He won the Crossworld Translation Award twice. Besides India, his translations have been published abroad in US, UK and in several European and Asian countries through further translation. Arno Sinha currently teaches creative writing at Ashoka University. Sanya Rashti is the author of Hospital. She received her primary education in Dhaka, Bangladesh and then in Adelaide, Australia. She is currently a resident of Melbourne, Australia. She studied biological sciences and psychology at Monash University, the University of Sydney and Deakin University. Arnava, welcome to our podcast Harshaniyam. Congrats on the release of the new book Hospital. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, when did you come across the Bangla version and uh, what is that you really liked about the novel? I came across the Bangla version a couple of years ago. The author's sister, whom I know, sent me a copy from Australia. I read it and I I loved it so much and I knew it was one of those books that I felt I really needed to translate as quickly as possible. So that is how it happened. So that's that's an instant reaction then. Yes, pretty much. Some books, you know, lead you to think that way. What is that you really liked about it, sir? Can you explain a bit about it? I think it was the way it um, deals with the theme. Yeah. Because normally one tends to read about uh, this theme of where, you know, there is a problem, there is a mental uh, health problem. It tends to be either too focused on issues or it, it becomes very overwrought it's over the top this book was written in such a calm controlled manner and that made it all the more chilling yes, yes. and you could see that there was a very sharp clear mind thinking about what was going on so observing thinking and and reporting so all of it added up to an extraordinary experience for me when i was reading you can see that it comes from both personal experience and a deep sensitivity and understanding of that experience i think that makes all the difference yeah i felt uh, it's a personal experience too although i was not sure about it it is no no that's very clear in fact the, the character also named uh, sanya only that's right she is not trying to hide it in any way and the other characters mentioned named in the book in her family are all her actual members of her family oh that's very interesting it makes uh, the novel all the more uh, really moving and touching actually yes yes the way she begins the novel and she ends it uh, you know talks of talking about the monet painting yes it's lovely to read actually the bridge over pond yes, of water ladies yes yes and uh, pages 89 to 91 sir i think that captures the essence of the book totally where she okay. talks you of- know this book better than i do now i think and you've read it recently it's been a while since i translated it and i've been working on other books in between but it's it's so fresh for you it's 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 so good to hear you talk about the book this way makes me also want to go back and read it 
yeah. No, I think it was it was um, the overall experience. Every page, every line held me. Okay. But especially where she is talking about some of her, some of the thoughts and what you can clearly identify as delusions yes. that she has while she is in the hospital where she's not allowed to do anything and the only possibility is to form relationships with other people. And you can see straight away that she's imagining a lot of things, but she is saying them with so much conviction and she's writing about it later, knowing full well that it was under the effect of psychosis, right? Yeah. Um, so there's something something very moving uh, about the whole thing. You know, it's a, it's a very... You realize that at the end of the day, all illness in general and mental health issues in particular are about the people who suffer from them. It isn't about the illness itself so much as the person who is at the receiving end and how the world changes for them and seems perfectly normal. And which is what she does so effectively, you know. And, you know, you, you it's, it's heartbreaking when you see the Sanya as the narrator in the story writing with great conviction about the way she sees the world, which you know is not the way she would see it had she not been suffering from uh, that third attack of psychosis. It's truly heartbreaking. It's so real and human. In fact, uh, whenever she is not under any stress, whenever she is comfortable and happy, all those instances are where, you know, she gets in touch with uh, the nature and uh, she has the company of other people who are talking to her, especially the um, the patients who are along with her. Um, those moments are really moving, actually. Or she was she will be talking about pigeons in the hospital ward, and uh, she feels really comfortable and happy. So beautifully uh, translated. Uh, sometimes I thought the translator has taken over the text. No, no, no. It's very much the text the way it is in the Bangla. And the translator is just taking the text into another language, but that's all. Now, I'll come to, I think your first book was Manishankar Mukherjee's Chaurangi in 2007. How did this first translated work come about? It actually happened many years ago. Um, I used to work for a city magazine in Calcutta, which we had started ourselves after graduating from college. And we used to publish one short story in translation every month. So in our very first issue, we I translated a short story of uh, Shankar. Sh- Shankar is the name he uses, Mani Shankar Mukherjee. And uh, a couple of years after that, he requested me to translate Chorungi for a, for a French publisher who was considering publishing it in French, but wanted to read it in English first. So that was how I translated it. And then I gave him the translation, printed out on an old dot matrix printer. And then I left Calcutta soon after that. And I moved to Delhi with a new job. And Chorongi was eventually published 14 years later. When Penguin wanted to publish the book, the editor had read it in Bangla, wanted to publish it in translation, spoke to the author who said there is already a translation and gave it to the editor. And that was how it all happened. How was the response, sir? The response was phenomenal, really. I think it is one of my uh, one of my most sold translations, if not the most sold, which it may well be. Um, and because it came at a time when there were not too many translations out there, 
uh, and in general, English language publishing was just beginning to flower in India. You know, it was growing uh, in a big way in in uh, in the in the first decade of the two thousands of the twenty first century. And because it is a story that is so accessible to everyone, it it really did very well, and uh, I had responses from all over. Okay, many reviews, and then it got picked up in the UK. And in France, and in Spain, and in China, and and yeah, so on. Two thousand seven, your first book uh, got published. Uh, yes. Translation yes. got published. And uh, in those interim period of fourteen years, you said uh, after translating uh, Chaurangi, uh, have you translated uh, uh, any book? No, no, I didn't do any translations in that period. Um, but after no, but after Chaurangi came out. um the publisher uh, asked me to translate another of his novels and meanwhile i was talking to her and the editor at another company and we came up with thought of translating another book as well which is called my kind of girl okay. so as a result my first three books were chorangi then my kind of girl by buddhadev bose and then again the middleman by shankar and you know as they say three is a trend so when you've done three translations you think okay maybe this is something that i need to keep doing so that's how it happened 2007 to 2023 we are talking about uh, 16 years right yeah in yeah. 16 years uh, you have done uh, 80 books almost 76 i think if have come out yeah and a few more are with publishers there yeah. now when uh, you look at this stat right it's almost uh, one book every two months approximately uh, yeah there about i guess yeah most of them were quite popular and successful quite successful i wouldn't say all of most of them are but some some of them are let's say so how do you manage to do it uh, to be so prolific and uh, at the same time maintaining the quality of the translation well if you if you are really into something then you just do it right it's like sports people they play they play they play games and they're in top form you know the good ones are in top form all the time so it i, I it there's nothing very strange about <laughs> it it's quite natural to keep doing what you do right i mean people who who do a job they go to office 5 6 days a week and they do their work well and we don't ask them how do you manage you know they do it so it's it's very similar in that sense no the managing the time sir in fact i was reading in one of the interviews where uh, you were uh, saying that even in metro when you sit down and when you travel you pick up something and you start translating yeah yeah well it's a bit of a drug you might say when it comes to choice of the book sir how do you choose a book to translate it starts with really loving a book and thinking of it as adding something to a literature mm-hmm. so that's point 1 Point two, of course, is that a publisher must be interested in publishing it. Uh, there are books that I love, but you know, but publishers might not be interested in. Increasingly, publishers are under pressure to. I mean, it's not as easy to sell a book now as it used to be earlier. So uh, that consideration comes into play. And the third thing now is that I also actively look for underrepresented voices and writers, so that even if they are underrepresented in their own language. they might find a national and even an international audience through translation so i guess that's the criteria see there are uh, certain language specific things like proverbs and idioms and other stuff so how do you stay true to the original and how do you 
how do you how do you overcome these uh, obstacles well you look at um, you you are basically um, looking at the relationship between the text and the language in which it is written and then the text and the language in which you will write it and you see how that relationship can be maintained in the same way so sometimes a proverb you may find an equivalent proverb or an idiom you may find an equivalent idiom sometimes you may translate it literally because it is colorful and interesting and conveys the idea and sometimes you may just take the meaning without the metaphor because that works best so there is no one size fits all solution you apply individual you know customized solutions to the problem each time it crops up when you translate a book that you love so much sometimes you can have an effusive reaction to the prose rather than you know exactly translating the text does it happen to you no no that doesn't happen translation is a very specific activity mm-hmm. and you actually try to leave yourself behind when you are translating mm-hmm. so it's no longer about you and every translator in the world will tell you that no one inserts themselves i mean to say do you feel that you know, this thing can be slightly improved in the way that is expressed no 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 it's no i'm and it's not no 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 it's not it's not my uh, my 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 thinking is that you add nothing and leave out nothing okay. unless unless you are collaborating with the author who actually wants some changes then it's a different story does it happen once in a while yes sometimes a book is very long and the author may feel that maybe it can be shorter in translation so then you sit together and decide uh, what to keep and what not but that's rare it, it it's not a, a, a regular phenomenon I have come across this uh, translation Harbar. Yes. In fact, I surprised read that there were three translations, English translations of the same book. That's right. That's And, right. And uh, I think even before you started translating, there were other. Yeah, there was another one. Yeah, there was another one, and there was another one after that. After that. So why did you choose to do that? It was the same reason. I I I loved the book, and I thought that. And the first translation wasn't easily available anymore. So you read the first translation and the other translation too? I didn't read the first translation. I read the newer one that came out after mine and I think it is it is better than my translation. Although I think it would not have existed had my translation not been there. In the sense that you know it takes more risks and it it pulls them off. Oh, so nice of you to say that. What specifically was improved sir? i think there's more there's more the translator um, takes more risks with language okay uh, does more wordplay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which which is successful in that case you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't in this case it works have you ever faced any ethical or moral dilemmas while translating a text yeah what happens sometimes is that the author um, may have um, may may propound a certain notion or thought that runs contrary to your own beliefs okay so for example it was quite quite natural for um writers up to a certain point of time in any language including bangla to be almost um, unconsciously sexist in some form or the other mm-hmm. you know gender an understanding of gender was lacking mm-hmm. in let's say the first 70 or 80 years of the 21st century a uh, 20th century or in one case there was a writer with very clearly uh, islamophobic views oh. which he channeled through a historical novel uh, which was also not unusual for that period 
but when these ideas don't agree with your own as was the case i wrote a, in, in in the case of this islamophobic thing i wrote a little disclaimer saying that this is not my point of view but this is the author's but you finished translating it it got published i did it it's a good novel it got published basically as a country we are a multilingual and a diverse society very very diverse society so in your opinion what would be the value add any translation especially translations into english well it's very simple i mean english uh, the advantage of translating into english is that it is a language that is read all across india as well as the world so immediately you unlock a book that's lying kind of locked in in one language and make it possible for people who don't have that particular language to read it and uh, in a in a land that is as diverse as ours it is a great way i think for people to understand and experience this diversity fiction particularly is the best way of experiencing life uh, short of living it yourself right and how many lives can one person live anyway so fiction allows you to live all these other lives and experience all these other modes and forms of living so when it comes from a different uh history and geography and cultural space then you realize just how diverse your country is how diverse the world is and that is the true route to road to democracy isn't it yeah. that everyone should have a voice irrespective of their uh irrespective of the diversity and that the diversity must be represented in a democracy correct that it cannot be a monolithic um representation so so translations are a very convenient way for all of us to understand and experience the diversity in our in our land and and therefore contribute to the ethos of democracy okay and uh, can translation be a political act all translation is a political <laughs> act definitely for sure do you think you have significantly added to this discourse by translating it well any anyone anyone who translates adds to the discourse obviously it goes without saying okay. because you are you are first of all it is a political act in many ways it is a political act in what is translated in whose voice is heard in uh, who it goes out to and then but these are the obvious ones the perhaps the most important thing about it is that it allows your it enables your reader to understand the world in a better way in a more significant way and to question and to critically question all that is going on around you right and that is the first step of being a political entity right now many people say we don't know, we are not involved in politics we are apolitical but they don't realize that politics is not just about formally aligning with a political party or uh, even deciding who to vote for right everything you do in every moment of your life is political because it has an implication you're not living in isolation right it has an implication on people around you on the society that you are part of and in some way you are changing the society that you are part of with every act that you perform right right so what you are therefore reading and therefore what therefore influences your thinking automatically becomes a political input so when it comes to english translations what do you think about the use of indian english in translations because certain books when you start reading it uh, i can't pinpointedly i can't say why i am made to feel like that but i but i definitely know it is indian english the way idiomatically the way it is written what do you, what is your opinion on that if the translator has decided that that is the best way to use the english language yeah. 
then I'm all for it. As long as the translator knows what they're doing. Right. As long as it is a an informed choice and a deliberate choice. Yeah? yeah. And I am not hung up on English being used only in the way it is used in, let's say, the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you look around the world, you'll already find that English has its own version in India, in, in the Southeast, in Africa, in, in not Africa, but the African countries that use English. And they also vary one from the other. I mean, the English you'll hear in Nigeria is not the English you'll hear in, let's say, Zimbabwe. Right. Um, then there's a English that is used in the Caribbean countries. So there are many flavors of English. And indeed, if today you go to the UK or the US and listen to people talk, you will find them, um, sometimes even the English will be incomprehensible to you. I, I was I was on a jury recently of an international literary prize. And one of my jury members was telling me that their son who they, they, this jury member lives in London and he was telling me that his son speaks in a language in school with his classmates, which he does not understand at all, although it is English. And so he says that my son speaks to his parents in a language that is different from the one he uses in school. So there is no one kind of English and what we call Indian English is one more flavor. So I'm all for its use, provided the translator feels that it is the best solution and has taken a considered decision. To do it. But do you think using Indian English, will it restrict its market to um, India alone? No, why should it do that? We see, we happily read books that come out of the African countries and the Caribbean countries and even, even uh, uh, you know, books out of different parts of America and the UK which all don't all conform to the same kind of English at all. So it's not a problem. And, and look at what Salman Rajdi did. I mean, his English in uh, Midnight Children was certainly not the English that British readers were used to. And But they took to the book. They loved it. It won the Booker of Bookers, remember? So I don't think that's a consideration at all. And indeed, if you're reading a literature in translation, then I think as a reader, you would, you would like it if it was different from the kind of book you read that is written in English to begin okay. with, right? Because you don't want to confuse it with something that is written in your backyard. Right. When you look at the field of translation from Indian language to English, you have been doing it successfully over the last two decades or so. So how did it evolve over the years? Well, it's evolved in the sense that I think initially there was an explosion of translated literature, especially the classics yeah. and, and modern literatures, because, uh, you know, people who were publishing in English were hungry for books and okay. there weren't really enough writers writing in English, especially fiction, uh, to be able to provide them with a sufficient number of books. Yeah. And besides these, um, all these uh, literatures of India already had books that were tried and tested. They had already been both critically and popularly uh, and acclaimed uh, both critically and 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 in on on popular parameters. Right. So naturally, many of these publishers and editors decided to publish a huge number of books in translation. Then gradually, I think um, the nature of publishing shifted. The nature of because the nature of reading shifted in India, right? As elsewhere in the world, people started moving away from books for fiction because their fiction needs began to be met first by television and then by OTT streaming platforms. So because you're now consuming much of your fiction in that media, uh, far less of it is being read and bought in the form of books. 
so trans- publishers have become more as they you know they don't publish as many as uh, translations as they used to they are also moving more towards modern and contemporary works although the classics continue to be mainstays for many of the big publishers mm, but others prefer modern and contemporary works because they attract attention they can win prizes and so on so that is how it has changed also what has changed is that many more uh, brilliant translators have come into um, the field and uh, as a result the source languages are also widening so initially you had the classic uh, the usual suspects right bengali hindi malayalam tamil um but then it it started growing kannada uh, telugu gujarati marathi and then it went even further so you had konkani and maithili and oriya and assamese so so it this is fantastic that more and more languages are being represented through translation so that is about the indian market when it comes to overseas publishing market is there sufficient representation of this uh, indian language uh, books which are uh, translated no no there is absolutely not absolutely not but look at it this way uh, you know there is this old story about how the, a shoe salesman went to a village and then went back to his boss and said no use sir nobody wears shoes over there we won't be able to sell shoes and his boss said that means we can sell shoes to everybody <laughs> because we because none of them has a pair of shoes so you can look at it that way right that nobody almost nobody is publishing any which means that the field is wide open okay so things can only get better okay what what is required to make it happen um well two or three things i think first that there is you they usually have to be a couple of breakthrough books okay which arouse a lot of interest so in many senses gitanjali shree's tomb of sand which won the international booker has done Absolutely. that there is a, there is much more interest now in south asian literatures secondly there has to be some sort of concerted push so that it's not individual authors and agents pushing individual books but a sort of um, language wide or country wide uh, initiative so for example the way japanese literature was pushed or the way korean literature was pushed by agencies or national agencies that said fine let's let's make it a target to say get 20 books or 50 books or whatever the number might be Uh, published in translation in the west so if that kind of a concerted initiative is taken that will be useful because then more books will because we have a huge number of books which have already been translated and published in india right, right. and so if only um, publishers in the west can be made to go through these books i'm sure they would find some among them that they would want to publish over there right. Right. and sometimes this needs financial support as well yeah. and uh, and uh, finally i think it needs um, some effort to get publishers in the west to come to india and meet authors and talk to translators and understand try to get a sense of what the literatures of india are about otherwise as long as you are sitting outside there is this temptation to start thinking of it as quote unquote indian literature right mm. um, which is there's no such thing i mean what would you refer to as indian literature Uh, what you get from tamil nadu is so different from what you get from kashmir okay. right um so i don't think you can call it indian literature in that sense but uh, then what happens is that and this is sometimes true even for uh, translations in india i know when when someone wants to publish a, a kannada work in translation or telugu work in translation they will say okay so what is specifically how does how do i identify a a, a telugu speaking land in this book So, which means that if you were to take them a very good detective novel, okay, uh, 
and then they will say, but what's Telugu about this? And the answer is nothing. It's a great book. Right. So this whole idea of a book representing a geography yeah. or an ethnography and so on, this is a very dangerous idea, right? So for many publishers in the West, like as is the case, you know, they publish a lot of books from Japan which are like Japanese books. There's a certain quality about them. You know, oh yeah, this is a Japanese book. This is not a Japanese book, even if it's from Japan. Okay. okay. <laughs> so in the same way, there is this notion that is there an India story in your book? So it sometimes boils down to some crude markers. Like, do you have past? Do you have untouchability? Do you have summer? Do you have mangoes? You know, do you, so on. Some very clear, do you have exploitation? Yeah. Do you have IT? Uh, so, you know, stuff like that. But the fact is that the really good books don't work that way. Right, right. right. Uh, and, and, and least of all do books written in the in the literatures of India, non-English literatures of India work that way because they're not trying to make a point. They're not ethnographic literature. They're not uh, propaganda. They're not trying to push through messages. They're just doing what good books do, which is talk about the world and talk about people. Yeah. So, um, so it is necessary for publishers to understand what the literatures of India are and not just think of them as an India story. Are there efforts on? There are small efforts at the moment but you know how it is but there is a very big um, there is a very big initiative called south asian literature and translation so which, which is a an end-to-end kind of initiative which involves uh, identifying translators training them um, giving them mentorship then vetting translations uh, sending them to publishers and finally providing some financial support to publishers as well so that's a five-year project and uh, we expect uh, that at the end of that uh, five those five years or about halfway through those five years and further we will see a lot of a lot many more books uh, of indian literatures in translation being published in the west see two of the uh, very good translations i read recently is uh, one uh, stories of the true by premada ramkumar and uh, other one is the abyss by suchitra ramchandra yes jaimon stories yeah, yeah, Jay Mohan's. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, both of them, Suchitra and Premada, both of them happen to be your mentees in South Asia Speaks. Yeah. Uh, South Asia Speaks program. Yes. yes. Mm, so, can you tell us about the program in detail and how does one qualify to get into this? Well, South Asia Speaks is a, is a wide program which uh, connects mentors with mentees uh, across different genres and fields. One of which is translation. There's fiction, nonfiction, and other things as well. Um, in my case, I'm the translation mentor. And what I do is I like working with groups rather than just one or two individuals. Okay. And uh, uh, you, you, apply, you apply with your, um, with your project and what kind of work it is and maybe a sample. And then, you know, we choose. It's all into English, right? From the Indian languages into English. At the moment. At the moment, yes, but not necessarily. For example, last year I had a mentee who was translating into Bengali. Right now you are teaching creative writing at Ashoka University. So I think it's yes. very rare in Indian universities to have a creative writing as a course. What is your teaching methodology in your class? Well, we basically get <laughs> find ways for our students to love reading and love writing. And then uh, find ways for each of them to find the best way in which they can write. 
and then uh, help them improve in that detection along those parameters. So we don't follow a sort of here are the rules of writing kind of thing. So it's a more of an assignment oriented, project oriented. Well, I mean, they're, they're con continuous writing exercises, but the writing exercises are not meant for conforming to rules, but for writers to discover themselves who they are as writers and what works for them best. So it's a two year master's program. No, at the moment, it's a minor. Um, it's not a master's program, which involves taking uh, six courses. Um, maybe a master's program will come up in the future, but it's not there yet. Now that we have come to teaching and mentoring, what is the required uh, skill set for a translator and uh, how different it is from skill set uh, required for a writer? Well, uh, many of the skills are similar in the sense that you are still writing. A translator right. is also writing. Um, of course, you have to be biliterate at least. Uh, you must know both the languages very well, the language uh, from the which you're translating right. and the language into which you're translating. Um, and and uh, you must be able to put yourself away. That's the big difference. A writer will, you know, it will be their book. But a translator is not writing um, their book. The translator is writing the book that was written, that's been written already. Right. Uh, so I guess that's the big difference, mm -hmm. uh, which means you put yourself away as a writer and you try to become, uh, do what the text is doing in a different language. You have to read very, very deeply. I think being a translator means that you have to be a really deep and close reader. Uh, you have to read with your eyes, your ears, mm -hmm. with everything. In fact, I call it full-bodied reading mm -hmm. because you have to recreate an entire experience, right? Uh, of course, that usually comes from working closely with the text. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these are the skills. You have to have a good ear. You have to, like any other writer, you have to listen to how people talk yeah. in the language that you are translating into. And you have to practice a lot. You have to practice right. a lot because you're not writing in one style. So you have to really practice to be versatile. And uh, finally... What are your upcoming uh, projects and books that you are currently working on? One uh, I knew from your Twitter feed that is a uh, great Indian story, ever told by Alep uh, Publishing. Yeah, that's okay. that's just an. I mean, I'm just the editor there. Um, nothing translated. Among the books that are coming up, there's the there are um, there's a novel by Mahasheta Devi called The Murderer's Mother. There's a work of nonfiction by a lady named Sushmita Bondapadhyay who went to Afghanistan. She, she married an Afghan um, national in Calcutta and went to Afghanistan. And she was subsequently killed there. And uh, so there's a work of hers, a, a, a sort of autobiographical work called The Taliban and I. So these two are coming out. Then there's a, a very large, long novel from Bangladesh called Phantoms of August which will come out sometime next year. There's the Penguin Book of Bengali short stories, which is being published by Penguin Books in the UK. Um, so I've, I've edited and translated most of those stories. There's a Bengali book, uh, translation of Srikanth Verma's poems in a book called Magad, which I've translated into Bangla. So that should be coming out. So these are the work books that are currently with publishers. And then I'm working on a bunch of other translations as well, which will also find their way to publishers over the rest of the remaining uh, months of the year. 
and this mahashweta devi's book when is it coming out it should be out i think around october or november there about october thank you sir thank you for your time and uh, thank you for uh, you know coming over to our podcast and uh, talking about translations thank you for having me on your show i hope you hit the century very soon <laughs> in the next few months <laughs> <laughs> thank you have a great day thank you thank you thank you, you too bye bye